Among this year's Oscar documentary nominees is Free Solo, an incredible look at the journey of professional rock climber Alex Honnold as he became the first person to free solo El Capitan, a 3,000-foot vertical rock formation in Yosemite National Park. Documenting the training and climb was a fascinating feat led by directors Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin. To tell us about the experience, Chin joins us on today's podcast. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to Behind the Screen. Filmmaker and photographer Jimmy Chin is also a professional climber, mountaineer, and skier. His accomplishments include climbing and skiing down Mount Everest. Additionally, he and his wife Shai Vassarelli previously co-directed the documentary Maru, based on Chin's own climb. Jimmy, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. For starters, you're a climber yourself. Tell us about your background. Yeah, so I have been a professional climber for... I guess almost 20 years now and have been a member of the North Face athlete team for 18 years. You know, my background really was a climber that came up living up in Yosemite Valley, California, kind of the heart of the climbing culture in North America and really in the world. You know, climbing is something that I've found, you know, I think uh, my mid-teens that I fell in love with. So I've specialized really in expedition climbing and doing first ascents around the world, which is climbing new routes or climbing routes that nobody's ever climbed before. And, you know, that's taken me around the world. Climbing's been an incredible vehicle for me to kind of see the world, you know, all seven continents doing climbs in the Himalayas and the Karakoram, Antarctica, Africa. And, you know, that's really been a huge inspiration for me because of the really powerful experiences I've had as a climber and the friendships and the things that I've learned from climbing have been, you know, very extraordinary for me. And I've always wanted to share, you know, those experiences with other people. I think there's so much depth there. You know, I think that within the climbing world and in the climbing culture, there's a lot of great mentors and that's a big part of climbing is being mentored by other great climbers. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, you know, about how you approach really big objectives and how you, you know, really have to dedicate yourself and commit to some endeavors that might seem impossible from the beginning and and learning that you have to take every single step and focus on the present and being committed to what you're doing in order to achieve some of these objectives. And I think that applies to a lot of different areas in life. So I've actually been to Yosemite and I've seen El Cap and I know how extraordinary it is. What was it though about El Cap that attracted Alex because he he spent years thinking about this before he attempted the climb? Yes, well Yosemite Valley is what we kind of consider the center of the universe for the climbing world and any serious climber spends time in Yosemite and cuts their teeth there. El Cap is kind of the center stone, I guess, of that valley. And it's a very iconic formation. It's a huge wall, one of the biggest walls in the world. It's over 3,000 feet tall. And it just has this, you know, incredible history behind it, you know, that really is almost a map of climbing history in the, in the U.S. 
And if you're a climber, you know, climbing El Cap is kind of a rite of passage. Some of the best climbers in the world come to Yosemite to attempt El Cap. So it has a lot of significance for climbers and especially for Alex. You know, I think that when you show up in Yosemite Valley as a climber and you look up at El Cap, it is truly mind-boggling, but also yes. inspiring. It can be terrifying. It invokes, like, all these different emotions. And I think, you know, for Alex, he really focused on this climb, Freerider, on El Cap as what he imagined to be the pinnacle of free soloing. That being said, there's no one in the world, not the best climbers in the world, that have ever stood underneath El Cap and seriously thought about free soloing it. You know, I mean, even his peer group or my peer group, it's always been unimaginable. I know you covered this in the documentary, but would you talk a little <clears throat> bit about how you on your own had some very understandable concerns about filming the documentary and while he was doing this climb. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend, Alex, soloing something that's extremely dangerous and you're making a film about it which might put undue pressure on him to do something and him falling through the frame to his death. The idea of free soloing El Cap was so beyond anything that my generation had ever imagined that would be possible. So to give you a little context about how difficult this endeavor is, you know, Freerider is a 3,000-foot route on El Cap. And even if you're a professional climber and you show up in Yosemite to climb Freerider, it would be a lifetime achievement if you spent four to five days climbing Freerider and were able to climb every single pitch without falling, and that's using a rope. Alex did it in three hours and 56 minutes without a rope. So when Alex first mentioned that he wanted to climb El Cap and free solo it, you know, we were in the midst of talking to him about making a feature-length documentary about him, character portrait, kind of highlighting some of the climbs that he'd done before he'd thought about El Cap. And those free solos were significant enough that they were, you know, noteworthy to make a film around. So when he mentioned that he wanted to free solo El Cap, we actually put the whole project on hold because I understood what kind of burden that we'd be carrying if we went ahead with that production. Yeah, I've been filming and working in this space for a really long time. And, you know, when the projects are this kind of dangerous, you being a producer and a director on a project like this, you know, there's some accountability that you carry. And so we needed to be really careful with how we approached it. And we wanted to be very thoughtful about our intentions and whether or not this is something that we wanted to do. So when you decided to do it, I know you had extensive conversations with Alex about it. You assembled a team of cinematographers that are also climbers. Well, I should probably mention that we had to wrestle with a few big questions before we could even think about putting the production together. And I think that was a really important part of the process. You know, we had to decide whether or not we trusted Alex's decisions 
you know, like really trusted him that he wouldn't try to do this before he was ready or that he wouldn't, you know, feel external pressure to do it if he wasn't ready, you know. And I was fortunate enough to have spent 10 years climbing with him around the world and seeing the type of person he is. And I think when you see the film, you you get to see how methodical and calculated he is. And he's incredibly good at assessing risk, which is a huge part of what professional climbers and athletes do in the outdoor world. He's also very intelligent. You know, he's immensely tested genius. And his disposition is such that he doesn't react to external pressures like most people. And I think that's one of the characteristics that, you know, allowed us to make this film and decide to make this film because we knew that his intentions for climbing were very pure. You know, he, he wasn't there to climb for fame. He wasn't there to climb for money. You know, he was there to climb for the love of climbing and because it was... That was very evident. ...his dream. And, you know, that's a very big difference when you have somebody that's doing something for notoriety or when somebody's doing something because it's something that is important to them and that they love. So we decided, you know, that we did trust Alex, and Alex and I have a very good working relationship. I think there's a mutual trust between the two of us. And so I really needed to assemble a crew where there was that same mutual trust between Alex and this crew, particularly the High Angle team, which would be working with him day in and day out on the wall. The logistics of this shoot are such that, you know, you're moving up and down a 3,000-foot kind of ocean of granite. It is not something you can do easily unless, you know, you're an elite, world-class professional climber. So I needed to assemble a team of world-class, elite professional climbers, climbers that I knew I could trust making you know, a lot of difficult decisions on the wall. And this team also had to be incredible cinematographers, meaning that there was a very, very small pool of people that I could pull for this. And then even among this very small pool of people, I had to decide between people with different personalities and find the specific characteristics of being able to handle very high-pressure shoots, be able to stay calm, have the right demeanor to be around Alex when he's free soloing. And so even among that very small pool, I had to pare it down to just a few people. And, you know, I think that that's what made this project possible. Being elite professional climbers was also important because they all have been on both sides of the lens. So everybody's really sensitive to what it feels like when a camera's introduced to a particular situation, especially if it's a very dangerous situation or a high-stakes situation. And that sensitivity is what this crew brought to the production. And when I talk about that mutual trust, you know, these guys were also friends of Alex because, you know, at the very upper echelon of this world of climbing, it's pretty small and everybody knows each other. And so having this team of friends and a crew that Alex could really trust 
is what allowed Alex the space to be able to do what he does. So can you tell me who was on your team? My lead uh, director of photography on the High Angle team's name was Mikey Schaefer. And if you look up Mikey Schaefer, you know, he's a very well-known climber, has a ton of street cred. I've worked on multiple projects with him. He's the guy I call when I have a really heavy, you know, difficult job. And he's also climbed Freerider, the route that Alex is attempting to free solo. He's also climbed it multiple times, so he knows the route intimately well. Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful. But in the film, you know, I think he's going to be best remembered for the cinematographer who can't watch what he's filming because when Alex is free soloing on the big day there's a few moments when you see Mikey and he can't even watch what he's filming I can't believe you guys actually can watch oh I don't want to I don't I don't Yeah, that's kind of exposed right there. Oh my God, it's so exposed. I always found that very heartwarming personally because he is such a tough guy. And to see him being, you know, kind of vulnerable and and scared for his friend is really moving for me personally. I think that comes across on the screen as well. It really did. Now, he was on the ground, though, during the actual climb. Yes, he was only on the ground because he injured his knee. A few weeks beforehand. Otherwise, you know, he would have been on the wall and he spent most of the two years climbing with Alex. I mean, I think that he probably spent more time moving up and down El Cap with Alex than anybody on the production because he was actually working on the route with Alex and talking him through certain parts and they would compare notes and and he would be filming and he would be you know, going up and down with a 45, 50-pound pack of camera equipment. So it was 45, 50 pounds, what the cinematographers had with them on the day? Yes. So there was another cinematographer, Shane Lempe, also a world-class climber. He has speed records, climbing El Cap. A couple other, you know, guys from the Yosemite Search and Rescue, Josh Huckabee. These guys are all the top elite rescue team as well. And they were helping to rig as well as kind of manage safety. You needed a lot of muscle power up there on top of everything else because, you know, when you rappel into a 3,000-foot wall, you're carrying oftentimes 500 to 1,000 feet of rope. And so you're rappelling down with all this rope. And it's not a plumb line. It goes from left to right. It traverses all these different places. So you have to kind of navigate all these different paths down the wall. And then when you're filming, you can't have the ropes in the frame. So as Alex is climbing up and you're a cameraman and you're moving up the ropes, you're sending these fixed lines with these ascending devices. You're also hauling the ropes behind you so that they're not in the frame. But when you've gone up a thousand feet, that means you're also hauling a thousand feet of 11 millimeter static line, which is incredibly heavy. And that, that's, you know, just one of the kind of logistical challenges. There are a number of mistakes you can make that can be catastrophic. So there's a lot of, you know, considerations to make just on the climbing side. 
And then in terms of filming, a lot of these guys are moving around as a single person unit. So they're building their own cameras while hanging in their harnesses, you know, 2,000 feet off the deck, carrying all their batteries, checking all their media. They don't have focus pullers or ACs and certainly no craft services. So they're (laughs) carrying all their food and water for the day. And uh, we often had 12 to 16 hour days was common just to get into position and shoot. And oftentimes you would go in and shoot and rig for an entire day and it would only be one shot or one little scene on one pitch. A lot of work. And you used Canon cameras? Yes, so we were mainly using the C300 Mark IIs on the wall because, you know, the battery setups are such that they're a lot lighter to carry batteries and they have their own audio inputs. But, you know, they shot 4K and they color beautifully. We're shooting cinema lenses as well. We wanted to give a really cinematic experience because we knew we were going to go into theaters. And it was really important for us that the craft of the filmmaking was the best we could possibly make it. And, you know, having done this for 20 years and a lot of this team, you know, filming in this kind of space, we all really wanted to bring our best to this film and elevate everything we'd done collectively to a new level. That was really important to us. The images were just extraordinary. Thank you. This involved, to some degree, the Canon Explorers of Light program. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so being an ambassador for the Canon Explorers of Light, Canon was extremely supportive of the production. They supported us with all of our cameras. I think, you know, at any given moment, we had six C300 Mark II's lens packages to go with those cameras. Some of their big lenses, which we used a lot, the 50 to 1,000, which, you know, was the the main lenses we were shooting uh, from the ground and from the helicopter. But, you know, this was a two-year production, so there was an incredible amount of support, and we can't, you know, thank them enough for everything that they've done for us. How did you handle production sound? So we have an awesome audio specialist for us. You know, his name is Jim Hurst. He has been doing audio for, you know, major productions for a long time, but he's also an incredible climber. And again, like the rest of the team, you know, he's, you know, off the couch, this guy can run 50 miles in the mountains. I mean, super fit, has been part of the climbing world, has been a friend of mine for a long time. We've worked on a lot of productions in the mountains and in Yosemite. Being a climber, he also was very sensitive to the needs of Alex, right? So he had developed essentially a system for running audio in the mountains and on El Cap, you know. So we had this thing called a Zaxcom, which is a lavalier that you can basically tape to Alex's chest and the cord, the, the, the wire would go down and through a hole in his shirt and then the be connected to the Zaxcom's which was tucked into a zippered pocket in Alex's chalk bag. So that was kind of out of his way. And that was really critical for us so that, you know, we always had audio. And we started that day one of production so that that just became the norm. Tell us about the day of the climb. One of the most critical aspects of the production surrounding the day of the climb was that, you know, during the two years that Alex was practicing his route, 
we as a production team were practicing shooting that climb, essentially preparing for the big day. And over those two years, you know, it became very clear that there were a few pitches or sections of the climb that were really critical to the narrative. And, you know, there was the free blast pitch, which was a very insecure pitch for Alex that was very scary. That was down low on the route. Mikey, do you copy? This is Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, this is Mikey. Can you let me know when he's through the slab pitch? Through the slab pitch. He's through it? Yep, he's almost in a half dollar. He's moving fast. Yes, Jimmy, he is, of course, ahead of schedule. There was the boulder problem pitch. Uh, which, which was technically the most difficult part of the climb. There was the enduro corner, the monster off with, there were all these different sections that were really kind of becoming part of the narrative. And so we focused on those pitches in terms of our shooting. We had, you know, a crew on the ground that was shooting long lens. Uh, we had two cameras down there. We had our Verite DP who followed Alex to the base of the climb. And then later, once Alex left the base to start up the climb, our Verite DP had to run around and up to the top of El Cap, which is, for a really strong athlete, is a minimum of two and a half hours, maybe three hours. So he had to get to the top to shoot the top out. And then it was all hands on deck. Even our riggers had cameras. Our sound guy had cameras. I mean, everybody was rolling. Everybody was, you know trying to capture everything we could. You know, we had a crew, you know, strung all over El Cap, as well as several fixed cameras in sections where Alex didn't want another person there. For aerials, we wanted to, you know, really show the, the scale and expanse of El Cap, but we didn't want it in his way. So we were filming from a helicopter from 3,000 feet above the valley rim, so you could barely see it and barely hear it, and we were shooting with a 1,000-millimeter lens from the helicopter. We still wanted to really preserve Alex's experience, meaning it was important for us that he had the experience that he wanted to have in this endeavor because ultimately this was his dream, you know, and we were there to cover it. So after the shoot, how many hours of footage did you have to work with when you were editing? So we had over 700 hours of footage and, you know, bringing that down to a 90 minute film is always a challenge, but we really believe in having time for our edit and it was great working with National Geographic. I have to give credit to National Geographic. I mean, they signed on our production and trusted us despite the fact that, you know, there was no timeline for this project and, you know, this is a very risky endeavor. And I think that shows kind of the spirit of what National Geographic is about and that they're willing to push the edge to tell a great story. You know, they supported us throughout the production, even though we didn't know what form the film was going to take or if Alex was even ever going to attempt El Cap. You know, there's that moment when he tries the climb and turns around, and that was a very difficult moment for all of us, you know, personally, because we wanted Alex to succeed. And, you know, we felt his disappointment. But it was just, 
brought into question again, is this even possible? Is he ever going to do it? This sucks. I don't want to be here. I'm over it. What happened? I cheated on the slab down there. May as well radio it. Uh, hey, whoever's on the radio, this is Alex. I think I'm bailing. I think he's bailing from heart. Bailing from heart, that's correct. It's kind of disturbing. Yeah, I wonder what it was. There were a lot of moments when there were, were doubts, but we also really believed in Alex, and we believed in the team. And I think something that I've learned on expeditions is that, you know, you kind of keep moving forward until you can't. And... That's what we did, and it's amazing what you can achieve when you when you approach things one step at a time and stay focused on what you're doing. As a climber yourself, what did it feel like for you to witness this feat? You know, on the day that Alex was free soloing, I was really trying not to feel anything. I was really trying to just execute. And I think that there were a lot of parallels in terms of what Alex was doing and what the camera crew was doing in the sense that Alex also kind of had to shut down any sort of emotional responses to what he was doing and manage the fear and the adrenaline and the risk. You know, it was all about execution. Everybody had been practicing for two years, and we needed to execute perfectly as well. So my directive to the team before we left the ground was not to get distracted, just to focus on what was on hand to focus on their tasks and what they were doing because there was plenty to do. And in some ways that was really helpful because, you know, just in terms of the climbing, there's so much rigging and details that you have to stay focused on. And then on top of that, you had to film and you knew this was a one-time event. So between everything you had to think about with the climbing and rigging and camera work and you know, safety systems, you had plenty to deal with that you didn't let yourself get too distracted by what was happening. I should say there was a lot of energy in the air. You know, there was like a buzz because we all knew you know, what the stakes were, but we also knew that this was an extraordinary moment. You know, this is something that even beyond climbing, this was pushing the edge of human potential. You know, to have absolute control over your mind and to be able to execute perfectly for hours on end at a very high technical level. I think any great athlete can appreciate, you know, what Alex is doing. And when someone can perform perfectly when the stakes are as high as they are. This is probably impossible to put into words, but what do you feel when you're climbing, when you look down and you see the beauty? You know, I think a lot of people are attracted to climbing because, you know, in some ways it's kind of meditation in motion. There are very few things that force you to be more present in your body and in your mind simultaneously than climbing. I think our instincts when you're 100 feet off the wall or 1,000 feet off the wall are very acute. And I think there's this kind of intersection of all these different emotional responses, intellectual responses, physical responses that make it, you know, a very extraordinary experience. There are certainly moments when you can put it all aside and look around and appreciate your surroundings. I think that 
there's something special about being in a place where you kind of aren't supposed to be, <laughs> you know, hanging off a wall 2,000 feet off the deck. And when you've been climbing a lot, to be in those positions and feel comfortable is is awesome, you know. I mean, to be comfortable 2,000 feet off the deck on a wall climbing, you feel like a superhero in some ways. Now, I know through your experiences, you've become involved in some charities. Would you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think the nonprofits that I've worked most extensively with would be the Conservation Alliance, the Outdoor Conservation Alliance, which gives grants to uh, small grassroots environmental programs. And, you know, I've always thought that was really important. I studied international relations, but really focused on international environmental policy. And I found that, you know, these big blanket policies were important to think about and important to address, but I always appreciated the power of grassroots projects because they were always the most knowledgeable about their environments and what they needed. And I think that supporting those kind of groups is really important, especially right now. And, you know, the other character in this film is Yosemite Valley. And it's hard to talk about Free Solo without thinking about all the you know, incredible people who are advocates for national parks. And, you know, we really hope that the film serves as a reminder of how important it is to preserve and protect our wild places. What's next for you? Chai and I are a really great team, so we're going to continue working together. We have already started another documentary. So we are diving into a new project with Christine Tompkins, and it's about Christine and her late husband, Doug Tompkins, who founded the North Face, was a great climbing partner with Yvonne Chouinard, who started Patagonia. I think the three of them can be considered some of the greatest conservationists of our time. And they're significant on a lot of different levels. I mean, Doug and Yvonne really kind of created the outdoor culture that we all live in today, you know. Every climber, every skier knows about Doug and Yvonne because, and surfer too because they kind of defined the outdoor lifestyle. And they also had an ethos that was and is really important to all of us about you know, conservation, about protecting the environment. And they've just done incredible things in their lives. And there's a love story there. And you know, they most recently enacted one of the greatest conservation acts in history where they handed over 13 million acres to the Chilean people and built six national parks. So we want to really, you know, tell their story and, and bring to life what they've done. It's been so nice talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you.